It is a distinct honor and a privilege to introduce uh, the Deputy Secretary of NATO, Mr. Misea Guayana. Uh, Mr. Secretary, um, it's a privilege to have you with us today. And um, uh, in, in a way of introduction, uh, um, I was um, trying to um, tell our audience that uh, a year ago, uh, NATO was recipient of much criticism coming from both sides of the Atlantic. Uh, the former president uh, of the United States, President Trump, had educated the American public opinion that NATO was outdated. And there was fear that the second term of President Trump, uh, president Trump would uh, result in, uh, in America pulling out of NATO. That was uh, all over the American uh, newspapers and the punditry. Uh, but also criticism uh, was uh, landed from uh, European capitals. Macron was talking about NATO being brain dead. Uh, but today uh, we see a different situation. Uh, NATO has become reinvigorated. It has uh, a new raison d'etre and new members. Uh, Sweden and Finland uh, are abandoning a policy of neutrality that characterized their foreign policy for many decades and they're, they're becoming members of NATO. And of course, uh, NATO has been very instrumental in safeguarding the security and defense, not only of Ukraine, that is in war with uh, uh, an expansive and revisionist Russia, but also the rest of, uh, of the European member states, the rest of Europe, uh, I might say. So um, you are the uh, most prominent uh, uh, person uh, representing the Atlantic Alliance to tell our audience um, the position of NATO in the European security architecture and how NATO is responding to the uh, war in Ukraine and to the challenges that we face once this war, once this war is over. Um, Evaristo Constantine, and thank you so much uh, to the uh, Institute of International Relations and the City of Athens for hosting uh, uh, myself uh, today. And I know, I know there is a lot of work behind the conference. Uh, I've done this in my previous incarnation, so um, thank you for focusing on, um, on transatlantic security. Um, you mentioned um, um, the this totally changed environment um, um, in European security and in world affairs. Today we have nine months. 24th of February, Russian forces invaded Ukraine, shocking the world and reshaping the course of European history. And if for some allies from the East, Russia's behavior was not the big surprise, but for many countries in NATO, especially in Western part of Europe, they were shocked, but NATO was shocked but not surprised. And uh, uh, NATO allies have been warning about Russians' plans to invade for many months. So when Russia invaded Ukraine nine months ago, to the very day, NATO was ready. We activated with ours uh, our defense plans to protect all allies. And the Ukrainian forces were better prepared and better equipped to resist Russian aggression thanks to the significant support from NATO allies over the many years. Since the illegal occupation of Crimea in 2014. And we see the difference, uh, that kind of training, 
uh, and the massive support we are giving Ukraine is making a difference every day on the battlefield. But Russia's brutal war of aggression did not start in 2022. It started before, in 2014. It started in 2008 uh, in Georgia. And this is uh, something that is showing a pattern of aggressive behavior by Russia against NATO allies and also against our partners. Many cyber attacks, assassinations on allies' soil, interference in our elections, massive disinformation campaigns, and yes, using energy uh, as a political criminal tool. Look at the attacks uh, that Russia is conducting uh, in an indiscriminate way on civilians and critical infrastructure. And what, what's more barbaric uh, than to start a war but to leave millions and millions of innocent civilians out in the cold and dark this winter? Also, there is this dangerous nuclear saber-rattling, which is attempting to intimidate us and jeopardize our security and our, and our resolve in helping Ukraine. And everything else, weaponization of food, of energy, other critical commodities, Russia is threatening the world with hunger and further instability. But I know one thing, they will not succeed, because NATO will stand by Ukraine for as long as it takes and defend every allied uh, inch of territory and, of course, we are looking forward to receiving, uh, we hope, very soon, Finland and Sweden as the newest members of our alliance. In that moment, 94% uh, of the population of EU member states will be living in a NATO country. 94% of the population of EU will be living in a NATO country. And you asked me at the beginning, um, how uh, is NATO doing? We are doing great, thank you. And uh, we are doing great because this dramatic transformation of European security and world affairs is indicating the indispensable role of NATO as the real guarantee for European security and the need for the transatlantic bond. And of course, NATO-EU partnership is critical in making sure that we have uh, coherence and synergies. Also, NATO is doing much more uh, across all domains, at land, in sea, in air, in space, and cyberspace. Uh, we have taken, since last February, fundamental uh, steps to strengthen deterrence and defense, from the Baltic to the Black Sea, and with Sweden and Finland, from the north to the Baltic, to the Black, and to the Mediterranean Sea. So that's uh, an eastern flank uh, of, of significant, of significant uh, uh, length and depth. And I think this is good for European security as a whole. Greece uh, is a highly valued NATO ally, and it's a key to security and stability in Southeast Europe and also in the Mediterranean. And your naval forces strengthen our maritime posture. Your jets keep the skies over Montenegro safe, and you contribute to our missions in Iraq and Kosovo. Greece also leads by example when it comes to defense spending, investing 2% of GDP in defense. And continuing to invest in defense is continuing to invest in our future, in our security. Because as the war in Ukraine shows, security is the foundation for everything. We don't know when this war will end, but we know one thing. We must continue to adapt and evolve to shape our security architecture in line with our values. Freedom, democracy, the rule of law. Or others will shape the future for us, which I don't think is a great proposition. So you mentioned also the strategic concept that our leaders adopted in Madrid. It's a very interesting read, and I encourage you to read a succinct and compact piece of strategic thinking uh, from NATO. Uh, we prepare for a world of increased global competition and instability. We see Russia, but also terrorism, 
uh, as main threat to our security. We also look at China's coercive policies and how they ch challenge our interests, security and values. Climate change is defining uh, a ma major challenge of our time, and NATO is doing things in that direction too. We also set our approach to counter-terrorists, to cyber and hybrid threats. But also, most importantly, the new strategic concept reaffirms our values and states that NATO's greatest responsibility is the collective defense of 32 nations soon. And of course, uh, I mentioned NATO-EU. I'm also from Romania. For me, for me, the European project is one of the most exciting and important uh, journeys in, in, in world history. So we have to make sure that uh, what NATO does and what the EU does are complementary and uh, synergistic, as I mentioned, as I mentioned uh, uh, before. Um, you asked at the beginning uh, how our American friends and allies and how European citizens and European politics are looking at NATO. I've seen a recent poll by the uh, Chicago uh, 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 Conference of, on World Affairs, and 80%, 80% of American citizens are supporting NATO. I know America well. I was ambassador in Washington a few years back, and there is a very solid bipartisan support for NATO. And also, America understands one thing. A Secretary General has said uh, in a speech in front of the joint session of U.S. Congress um, to the American lawmakers, it's good to have friends. And if you read the new American national security strategy, it indicates that the major strength, other than America's own strength, in the competition with China and in the competition for uh, a predictable world order, it's Americans' alliances and partnerships. EU is a partner of the US, NATO is a big alliance, and I think this is something that we should cherish and, and harness from both sides of the Atlantic. That's an indispensable transatlantic bond, and uh, this is something that we are here to, to continue to protect uh, and strengthen as, as, as NATO. Let me say just something about, uh, about uh, the Western Balkans. We are heartened to see that yesterday evening, uh, with EU and US uh, strong diplomatic leadership, it seems that the uh, outstanding issue uh, of the uh, registration plates has been a postponed. We're also uh, happy to see that in Bosnia, the UN mandate has been prolonged uh, and EU uh, U4 and Altia operation uh, continues to do its job in Bosnia. I'm just saying that at the foreign ministers meeting next, next week in, in, uh, in, uh, in Bucharest, our foreign ministers will also be inviting the EU, like every time, but also for the first time ever, the foreign minister, the Republic of Moldova, and the foreign ministers of Georgia and Bosnia and Herzegovina. I think the Western Balkans is an unfinished business for Europe, and the fact that many of these countries are members of NATO, I hope, as a, as a citizen of that region, of our region, that will be helping them to get into the EU, and thus to the East, in the Balkans, and across the Atlantic, to have a homogeneous new security architecture and democracy prevailing. And you, as the inventors of democracy in Greece, I think you should be the happiest of all of us, as we all are, that democracy is here to stay in Europe. 
Thank you so much, and uh, I look forward to, to hearing your comments and questions. Mr. Deputy Secretary, thank you very much for this excellent tour d'horizon. And uh, let me uh, use the prerogative of the chair and ask you two very short questions. Um, when this war is over, um, most people believe that um, the United States will again be consumed by um, the challenges coming from Asia. Uh, where does that leave us uh, in um, NATO's future and the European security architecture? And the second short question is that, um, as you very well know, uh, Greece, a very uh, staunch ally and member of NATO, is, uh, uh, is being challenged by another member of NATO in, in ways that have uh, uh, become very uh, dangerous uh, these, these very days. How does NATO deal with this situation of uh, um, Turkey being um, uh, a country that um, is um, threatening another member state? Oh, thank you for, for the questions. Um, you know, when it, when it comes to, when it comes, I'll start with the second one. Um, and uh, I mentioned Greece as a key strategic ally uh, for many reasons. Also, Turkey is a key strategic ally for many reasons. And of course, what NATO does is to bring uh, everyone, all allies, uh, even if, and especially when there are difficulties, and difficulties appear. This is not, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the Garden of Eden, uh, this alliance. And over history, we had many complicated moments, the Suez uh, canal crisis. We, we had the Iraq uh, operation created some rifts. And sometimes there are rifts, and we, we only hope and put, you know, all our diplomatic and political skills to help those allies address those issues and, 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 and to manage uh, some tensions that might appear. When there was this uh, difficult situation, I think, one and a half years ago, uh, on this exploration navies, uh, because this uh, problem of energy and and uh, and uh, and territorial waters, and here of course we are we are not taking sides in any way. NATO activated our deconflicting mechanism. Secretary General Stoltenberg uh, talked to both allies, uh, to Greece and Turkey, encouraging them to de-escalate and 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 come back to, you know, the mechanisms that do exist bilaterally and also multilaterally through NATO. So I'm just trying to, to tell you that uh, we appreciate every ally's uh, contribution to this alliance and we discourage, uh, you know, escalation of tensions amongst the allies, especially in a moment when we need to keep our unity in front of a much larger uh, problem. Uh, now when it comes to, to this, uh, uh, you know, uh, cyclical discussion, uh, especially in some European corners, about America's pivoting to Asia. We have then seen this under President Obama and then always, always that America is leaving Europe and moving, moving to Asia. This is, I think, oversimplistic. We are living in, in a world which is interconnected and security is also becoming less geographical. I mentioned space, I mentioned cyber, I mentioned nuclear where China is, is, uh, is investing in its, its uh, high-end arsenal. So uh, we do not see any sign of, of the U.S. paying less interest uh, in Europe. I mentioned before, it's good to have friends. 
and America's alliances around the world in Europe, also uh, in Asia Pacific and in uh, treaty allies uh, like you know the Philippines or Thailand uh, or Japan or Australia or Korea, are strength uh, to America. So I don't see, and we don't see here, uh, any intention or any predisposition for the U.S. to, to basically choose one continent over the other. I think the idea is for all of us to try to bring the resources of the political West and manage this big period of transformation, which is also dangerous. We need each other more than ever. We need each other not only to make sure that China's rise will be a peaceful transformation, but also because the developing world is not always convinced about our rhetoric. And this is something we have to do much better, all of us. Not preaching to these countries, but trying to enter a new partnership, a real partnership of equals with these many countries that will also be shaping uh, the balance of power, if you want, around the world. So I don't see any sign that America will be disengaging from Europe and moving everything to, to Asia. I think that's oversimplistic. This is now this game is played. Uh, America and all of us, we need America here in Europe, and I think America needs all its allies, big and small, European uh, or non-European. Thank you very much. With your permission, let me open the Q&A with our audience. Um, if you allow me to take a couple of questions, if you have the time, Mr. Thank Deputy you. Secretary. Thank you. One question. Yeah. Our student from... Uh, nobody can deny the support that NATO has, uh, has shown to the, for the Ukraine. So why is it so difficult for the NATO states to close the skies over the Ukraine in order to prevent Russia to leave the Ukrainian peoples from dying from cold or from starvation? Thank you. Uh, thank you, my young friend. Uh, and this question has been addressed to me and to us uh, by many uh, of the uh, young generation uh, uh, all over Europe. But let it tell me where, what NATO is all about. The number one obligation and job of NATO is to protect allies. That's Article 5, and that's sacrosanct, and that's the main job of NATO. The second job of NATO is to support partners like Ukraine in the just fight for national survival, sovereignty, and the right to choose its own future. And we do that. And the third obligation uh, of NATO is to avoid escalation. So... Uh, you know, uh, there have been many requests uh, from Ukraine and also from, from, from people uh, in civil society, academia, and even governments or members of parliament saying why is NATO not doing some, some, uh, some, uh, some operations over the skies of Ukraine. We're not doing that because this will really mean escalation and, and a risk of imminent war between NATO and Russia, which is something of a, even more danger uh, than the war they're doing. So we do these things, defending allies, helping Ukraine, and we are helping them not as NATO, but NATO allies and partners, almost 50 nations, including your great country. They are helping uh, uh, Ukraine have the best equipments, and you see that they use them very smartly and very bravely. And thirdly, to avoid escalation, uh, because escalation of a war between NATO and Russia will be already something that will be uh, uh, so severe 
that it's our obligation to do three things at the same time, defending allies, supporting Ukraine, and avoiding escalation. This is something that we do every day. Thank you. I think we have time for one last question. Yes, please. Thank you. Um, in case uh, an unprecedented uh, escalation occurs on behalf of Turkey, um, what measures are to be taken? Thank you. I, I think I answered this question again. It is our strong, strong, strong desire to see the differences that might appear, uh, and sometimes they do appear, amongst allies are treated uh, through diplomacy and through dialogue. And again, uh, NATO is a platform where we work by consensus, but also where allies uh, can come, and that's, I think, a natural platform uh, to, 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 to try to find uh, that harmony and that uh, spirit of consensus and unity that we have. So uh, NATO is not the answer to all these questions, but the fact that, uh, let's say, both Greece and Turkey, they rely for, their, for your security, on all the rest of the alliance is also a sort of a, of a, of a friendly, um, you know, uh, uh, gentle encouragement from all of us uh, to try to make these differences uh, be addressed uh, through diplomacy and not through escalation. And this is something that NATO is encouraging all sides to, to go in that direction. Mr. Deputy Secretary, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, speak to our conference and uh, address this audience. Thank you for your remarks. Thank you for the uh, responses to, your, to our questions and uh, for giving us uh, a full uh, picture of uh, NATO's present and future. Thank you, sir. Yeah,